While you're heading back to your seats, I want us just to reflect on those words that we just sang. Good grace, good God. Now we talked uh, last night about how really often we can uh, we can sing words because they're on a screen. Um, we can say things because everyone else around us is saying them, but just because we're singing out loud doesn't maybe necessarily mean that we're worshiping because the reality is worship is it's not just a song that we sing. It's, um, it's not just something we do in a room. Worship is really the position of our heart. I, I just felt like, I mean, as we were singing that song, um, where we talked, it says, clean hands, pure hearts, good grace, good God. Yeah. Um, but here's the thing, um, again, uh, you can sing those words and maybe you're saying good God, good grace, good God. But if you were quite honest, there's not a lot in you that feels like God is good. Um, man, if the past two years have shown us and told us anything about this generation, it's that our generation can be a generation that can look really, 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 really good on the outside, very, very smooth on the outside and yet be shattered on the inside. And uh, as we were just singing about that idea of God being good, I just thought the Lord just just impressing on me that there's some people in here who are questioning whether God's good. And because you're questioning whether God is good, you're thinking about doing things to yourself. Because since he's not good, there in your eyes and your mind might be no point of going forward. And so before we get into the message tonight, um, I'm just trying to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. Um, I wanna pray for some very specific people in this room. I wanna pray for those of you who, you are questioning the goodness of God and because you're questioning the goodness of God, it's making you question whether you should go forward in this life. And maybe you've been researching things, maybe you've been talking to people, maybe you just kept it all to yourself. but. If you were looking for a sign, this is it. So would y'all just bow your heads with me and um, <clears throat> man, I don't know who in this room needs to hear this. I don't. I don't know who this is for, um, but I. I know the Holy Spirit wants to speak to somebody. And if that's you in this space and you're like, man, Chris, I, I have been questioning God. I've been questioning his goodness and it's made me think about doing things I never thought that I would do. If that's you, like, would you just look at me real quick? I want to talk to you specifically if that's you. Yeah, 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 yeah. The good 
goodness of God is a goodness that can step into any circumstance. You've been wondering and you've been questioning. Listen, I'm not someone who hears audibly from God. I don't have any kind of special connection. I just know this. He wants you to know that you matter. Even if you feel like you don't matter, even if you feel like you shouldn't go forward, even if you feel like this should be the end, he's here to tell you it's not the end. He's got a purpose. He's got a calling on your life that is greater than whatever your circumstance is right now. So Jesus, I just pray for these people in this room. The ones who looked at me and maybe the ones who didn't, who are questioning and because they're questioning your goodness and your grace, they're questioning themselves. In the name of Jesus, I rebuke the lie from the enemy that says that they can end everything and it'll be okay. In the name of Jesus, I rebuke every lie that the people in this room might be believing that's telling them that they're worthless, that they're not good enough, that they shouldn't go forward. are a good God who has good grace for us. And Jesus, I ask that in these moments we have together now that we would experience that grace in a tangible way. Remind us of who you are. Remind us of who we are. And Jesus, whatever you want to say tonight, Help me to get out of the way so you can say it. We ask this in the great and the mighty and the matchless name of Jesus. Amen. 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 Well, hey, um, if you've got a Bible, I hope you do. Romans chapter 12 is where we're going to be tonight. Romans chapter 12. Uh, it's the last night of movement weekend. Have we had a good time so far? Yeah. Hey, last night means a couple things. Uh, it means last night to be with your friends, last night to make that move on that person you've been spitting game at all week. Um, you laugh. I've seen you guys at mealtime. I've watched some of you, like, making your way. I've seen it. I've seen it, right? Um, but, hey, it's, um, it's been a privilege for me to be with you all this weekend. And uh, I just want to encourage you all, man, on this last night, would you open yourself up to what God would want to say to you? Would you remove all the distractions, would you, uh, maybe in the different things that are in your mind right now that are telling you to, hey, think about this instead of listening to that, I just want to encourage you, would you just open up your heart to what God wants to say to you kind of in these moments. Um, you know, growing up over summer, um, uh, my, my dad would always put me to work around the house. He didn't like the idea of me just sitting around watching TV and, and eating Cheetos. And so he would give me like chores every day. And so, you know, Monday was always like a house cleaning day. And Tuesday would be a big like dishes day. And Wednesday was always uh, yard work day. Any of y'all parents make you do yard work? Some of y'all did yard work for the first time today in Jesus' name. Amen. And um, honestly, guys, um, I like yard work. I'm just going to be real. Like, I love it. It's therapeutic for me. I like mowing and the lines. You know what I'm talking about? Like, like there's something about, like, a fresh mowed lawn. And, and, and amen in Jesus' name. That's right. And, uh, but let me tell you my least favorite aspect of yard work and my one that I hated the most growing up. It was this. Pulling weeds. Mm. Mm. Guys, I, uh, I got a pretty good theology of demons, uh, and I know that it's not written in the Bible that weeds are from the enemy, but I believe that they truly are. 
And um, let me tell you why I hate pulling weeds. Here's why. My dad was meticulous, meticulous at making sure that every weed was pulled out of our flower bed. So much so that the homie would get home from work, he'd park the car, before even going inside and seeing his family he'd been away from all day long, he would immediately go over to the flower beds and begin doing this. And he would go, you missed something, Chris. He didn't drop it, but obviously, Jeff, I did. Yeah, I'm sorry. I didn't say Jeff. <laughs> I would have gotten a backhand if that happened. Um, and here's the thing. I got good at pulling weeds. I want to be honest. I got good out there. Might be uh, a little bit of the reasons why I have anxiety to this day. But um, I got good at pulling these weeds. However, here was the problem. Um, I would pull these weeds. I would get up in there. I could dirt on the fingernails and rip all these weeds up and whatnot. And my dad would come and he'd do his little examination and he'd be like, okay, right, right, you're good, buddy. Okay, good job, right? Good job. You know, you did your, you did your chore. And then a few days later, he'd come home from work and he'd, you know, whip in, you know, the driveway and, and park the car and he'd get out and he'd walk around and start to go into the house. And as he's walking in the house, he would be like this. And then I would get it. Christopher Michael Dotson, y'all know the full name, right? Y'all know the full name when they say it's a big deal. Come on out. And I'd weasel my way out, and I'd say, yeah, Dad, what's, what's up? He'd say, you think I wouldn't notice that you were just shoveling mulch over top of these weeds to cover them up? I said, Father, <laughs> I would never. And here's the thing, guys, I was not a great kid. I lied a lot. But in Jesus' name, I never lied about pulling the weeds. And here's what would happen, all right? Maybe you've done this before. I'd pull these weeds, get all these weeds pulled, but a couple days later, guess what? They'd be rearing their little heads again. And I'm sitting here going, God, what are you doing to me? I need this freedom that I have called a vehicle. But when these, these weeds, when they sprout up in the flower bed, my keys... They go away. What is happening? And one day, my dad, after many times of getting frustrated, getting frustrated, he pulled me aside and said, Chris, I think here's the problem. You're pulling the top of the weeds, but you're missing the roots. And if you don't pull the root, Chris, the weed is just going to pop right back up. You know, I think that for many of us, if we thought about our relationship with Jesus, it would be just like that flower bed. Pulling weeds, pulling weeds, pulling weeds, pulling weeds. Go to Movement Weekend, get convicted over this relationship or that bad habit or this thing that I say or that way that I live. And so, pop, 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 right? A couple months later, End of May, things are back in the swing of things, and those weeds find themselves pop back up. But it's okay, right? I got camp, and in the summer, going to Kalakwa, it's going to be lit. Hopefully the blob is open this year, and so I go. And then I get to Kalakwa, and I get some amazing speaker there, and they preach the gospel. And all of a sudden, once again, I'm in my cabin night three, and I'm bawling, right? And I'm like, I'm still addicted to that, and I'm still doing this. And what do I do? I pop, 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 pop. But then it shows back up again. 
And then we sit here and wonder, why can't I grow in my relationship with Jesus? Like I'm making resolutions for Jesus. I'm telling Jesus I'm going to live a different way. I'm going to do different things. I'm going to change my language and my habits and my addictions. I'm going to stop it all. I'm going to start this. But every time I seem to make a resolution, I fail. So we're kind of like that hamster that's on a wheel. And we're running in place and running in place and running in place, never making any progress, never actually growing in our relationship with Jesus. And you want to know what happens if that becomes the norm in your life? You will do one of two things. If you find yourself never making progress in your relationship with Jesus, no matter how hard you try, you will either walk away from Jesus or you will become fake for Jesus. You will walk away because you will think this is not worth it. I'm not making any progress. I can't do this. This is not for me. Or you'll just learn how to become a professional Christian. I know what to say in small group. I know what to say at Movement Weekend. I know what to say on the last night of camp. I know what to say. I know what to do. I know how to perform. And you know what both of those result in? Exhaustion. And so we read a text like we read last night, Matthew 11, that says, Come to me, all you who are weary and who have heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. And yet that's not the trait we would describe ourselves as. We don't rest, we work, and we work, and we work. I think that's because for many of us, we have focused all of our energy on changing our behavior and not transforming our heart. And let me be honest with you. Uh, every religion and every way of thought in this world. Because by the way, even if someone doesn't claim a religion or a God, they do have a religion. It's in how they live. And in every worldview and way that someone lives, they have a paradigm or a lens by which they see the world and see themselves. And there's always this path. If I do these four or five things, if I do this, if I do that, then I can become the person that I want to be. It's always about Behavior modification. The problem with behavior modification is that behavior modification can happen anytime, anywhere. Which is why you can be in a space like this and you can become aware of things in your life that need to change. You can make this massive decision to never do this again. I'm not going to smoke again. I'm not going to look at porn again. I'm not going to do that with my girlfriend again. I'm not going to talk that way with the guys on the baseball team again. I'm not going to do these things again. And then three weeks from now, you're right back doing those things again. Why? Because you made a decision to conform your behavior and not transform your heart. So we never grow. And, and that's why Paul writing to the Romans in Romans chapter 12 that's why he says this right here. He says, therefore, brothers. Now, when you see the word therefore in the Bible, there is a really good Bible study tool you should use. When you see the word therefore in the Bible, you should always ask, what is this there for? Therefore. So everything he's about to say, what is that there for? Well, in view of the mercies of God, what are the mercies of God? Well, that's everything that Paul has talked about in Romans 1 through 11. 
This idea that we were born into sin, that every one of us have made the decision to follow after our own desires, to do things our own way, to choose what we want in life, to look at the creator of the universe and say, no, I'm gonna take the breath that you gave me, the legs that you gave me, the body you gave me, the will that you gave me, and I'm gonna use it for me and not for you. And then in doing that, we break ourselves and the world around us. But even though we've done that, Jesus has provided a way for us to be redeemed. We can be justified. We can enter into a relationship with God. And then he will be with us in the middle of that relationship. Therefore, in light of that, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. That's an ironic, paradoxical phrase. Because in order for something to be a sacrifice, it must die. So how can it be living? Well, Paul's drawing upon what Jesus said, that if anybody wants to truly have life, what must he do? Luke 9, 23, he must die to himself. Verse 2. Do not be conformed to the age that you live in. Conformity. Think about Plato. You conform Plato when you move your hands on it, when you squish it, and when you roll it, and when you put it into a little ball, and when you make it into a person. Like, you can conform Plato. How? Why? Because you're adding something strong externally onto the Plato. You can conform it. Your hands can conform Plato into a little ball. What happens when you put that Plato underneath the tire of a car and it runs over it? It's now been conformed again. And that's what Paul's saying. I don't want you to be conformed. And the way of saying that is this. I don't want you to change your behavior after Movement Weekend. I want you instead to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Why? So that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. He does not want us to be conformed. He wants us to be transformed. Why? Because in transformation, we are able to do something. We are able to discern what is the good and the perfect and the pleasing will of God. In other words, this. We are able to make decisions on a daily basis that honor Jesus. Because our inside has been transformed and uh, we actually have a heart that wants to follow Jesus. Like, I I hope you guys know that there's a whole lot that you're going to walk through in this world that is going to require you to exercise wisdom and discernment. Because it's probably not going to be explicitly talked about in the Bible. And here's what I mean by that. You came up here and say, hey, Chris, I, got, I need some advice. I need some Bible advice. I'd say, all right, bet. Let me, let me get to him. He's like, dude, there's this, this guy. Man, I just, he, he plays on our baseball team and, like, he's just not very good. First baseman, drops the ball all the time. Not, not, a good, not, a good, not a good thing for me. Maybe he should go to Brandon High School. You know, that's what he should do. Because apparently no one here goes to Brandon High School. That's what I learned last night. And, um, you know, Chris, I'm just feeling like I really, I just want to kill him. Like, I'm, what does God think about that? Like, can I do that? Like, is that like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to look at you and say, hold on a second. Matthew, call the police. Um, second of all, um, hey, I can show you chapter and verse where it says do not murder. Explicit, black and white, I can show you in the scriptures. But if you come to me and say, hey, Chris, listen. 
got these friends and they're not following Jesus. They're not Christians, but like I'm trying to like reach them for God and I'm trying to like get them to go to church. But the problem is like every time they hang out, like all they want to do is like smoke and drink. And so like I'm not really doing that, but like should I like go hang out with them while they do that as like a chance, like an effort to like be friends with them and get close with them and then maybe it'll open up a door to get them to go to church. Like what do I do? You need discernment. So how do you grow in discernment? You grow in discernment through transformation. So how are you transformed? How do you become an individual who is transformed and not just conformed? Well, in order to actually be transformed, you have to understand the way in which God wants to grow you. Because I think that for many of us, we confuse what growth is. Because we think that growth is a consistent uh, ability to make big decisions for God, to change our actions. The problem is that a desire to change your actions without a heart that's been transformed and changed itself will always result in actions being changed for a moment, but not for a lifetime. Which is why I want to argue tonight that you should actually not focus on changing your actions. You shouldn't focus on changing your emotions because there's actually a deeper part of you that God wants to change and transform so that you can truly grow. But in order to understand that, we have to understand some things about ourselves. You know, in 1914, um, when the Titanic was out and about and going across the Atlantic Ocean, um, the, uh, the, the, the person who was the kind of spotter at the top of the ship, they saw in the distance a massive iceberg. So they relayed down to the captain, there's an iceberg ahead, we need to turn, we need to move, we need to change course. And so the Titanic made the decision to begin to turn, to begin to move, and to begin to change course. But many of us know that this did not work, and the Titanic eventually struck the iceberg and sunk. But did you know this? The Titanic never hit the iceberg above the surface of the water. It actually collided with the iceberg deep beneath the surface of the water. Because the reality is that icebergs exist about 10% above water and the other 90% exist beneath the surface. It kind of looks like this. This is one artist's representation of it. You've got this small little bit at the top that you can see, that you can visualize, that you can become aware of from a faraway distance. But you have all of this beneath the surface that you will only know if you go underneath the water to see it. I would submit to you guys tonight that we are a lot like this iceberg. 10% of us is on the surface. The other 90% exists beneath the surface. And don't take my words for it. I want you to read and understand what the scriptures say. This is what the, uh, what the book of Proverbs says in Proverbs 4. It says, pay attention to my words and listen closely to my sayings. Don't lose sight of them. Keep them within your heart. And then it says this. For they are life to those who find them and health to one's whole body. Guard your heart above all else, for it is the source of life. Not guard your actions, not guard your words, not guard your emotions. Guard your 
heart because it is the source of life. So I bet, okay, I get that. I follow my heart. I know what to do. Well, the problem is Jeremiah 17 says that the heart is deceitful and wicked. No one can truly understand it. So if we're going to talk about growing, if we're going to talk about actually being different people, we have to do the hard work of digging beneath the surface. Because the reality is all of us are an iceberg, every single one of us. And I want us to see something. At the top of that iceberg are our actions and our emotions. What you do, how you feel, your addictions, your party habits, what you put on your Finsta, like that's above the surface. How you feel when you get angry, when you get emotional, when you get anxious, when you get sad, All of that is above the surface of our life because all of that can be seen on a tangible basis. The problem for many of us is that when we focus on just conforming that, we will always be able to conform for a moment, but will not be able to conform for a lifetime because what's on the surface is informed by something deeper. So if we don't deal with what's deeper, will never actually change what's on the top. Your actions and your emotions, they're not the deepest part of who you are. What you do and how you feel, it's not the truest part of you. There's a deeper part of who you are. So what is that deeper part? Well, If we want to think about changing our actions and think about changing our emotions, we got to begin to go beneath the surface. Why do I do what I do and why do I feel how I feel? I'll tell you why. First and foremost, you do what you do and you feel how you feel because of where you are finding your identity. Your identity. Everything you do in life stems from where you find your identity. And ultimately, your identity, another way of putting that is it's always going to be based in your real purpose or your false purpose. Notice what the writer of 2 Peter says when he's writing to uh, the Christians and he says this. He says, you are a chosen race. That's an identity statement. A royal priesthood, another one. A holy nation, another one. A people for his possession, another one. I feel like DJ Khaled is here again, right? So that you may proclaim the praises of the one who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For once you were not his people, another one. But now you are God's people, another one. You had not received mercy, another one. But now you have received mercy, another one. Eight identity statements. And then, dear friends... I urge you as strangers and exiles to abstain from the sinful desires that wage war in your hearts. Guys, that's like everything we want to see happen after movement weekend. We want to see you wage against the war in your heart and abstain from sinful desires. But notice what he does to get them there. He says over and over and over and over again, this is who you are. A royal priesthood, a chosen nation, one who has mercy from God. Identity, identity, identity. Why? Because your identity is always going to be wrapped up in your purpose. 
The problem is that I think that many of us are living with a false sense of what our purpose actually is. We think we have worth because we're good at football. We think we have a purpose because guys like us. We think we have a purpose because we have a lot of friends. We think we have a purpose because we're pretty smart. We think we have a purpose because our parents love us. We think we have a purpose you can fill in the blank. The problem, though, is that if your purpose is not found in Jesus alone, Everything else you find purpose in will ultimately lead you to actions and emotions that are self-serving and not Christ-serving. Which is why in what we read earlier from Paul, he spent 11 chapters reminding the people of Rome of their identity. Where do you find your identity? What makes you significant? If you don't begin to ask yourself that kind of a question, then you're not really going to know why you are doing the things that you are doing in this life. But your identity is not the deepest part of who you are. Where you find your purpose and where you find your significance, that's not the truest part of you. There's a deeper part of you because everything you find your identity in in this life, whether it's in Jesus or not in Jesus, it's not going to be based only in your identity. It's going to be because of what you believe about the world. Your belief is going to always inform your identity. By beliefs, I'm talking about your worldview. I'm talking about the way that you see the world around you because these beliefs, they're always going to determine who you are. And therefore, by determining who you are, they're going to determine what you do. Look what Paul says a little bit earlier in Romans chapter 10. You probably heard this verse before. If you confess with your mouth, that's an action, that Jesus is Lord. And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. That's a belief. That's a worldview. You will be saved. Action and belief are intrinsically tied together. And here's the thing about beliefs. Your beliefs will either be based in truths or in lies. You know that the enemy, the devil, he has given a title by Jesus. And the title that he's given is the Father of lies, which is to say when the enemy speaks, he speaks in his native tongue of deception. A, a good little theology 101 about the devil. Um, the biggest way he's going to fight against you is not through some kind of like demonic possession, like exorcism, horror movie type thing. It's just small, subtle lies. Isn't that what happened in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve? He just wants to plant little lies in your mind that make you question whether you can actually trust God. Like, does God really care who you sleep with? Like, you guys are in love. 
just feels right. Like, why would God say no to that? Does God really want you to love everybody? Like, God love people that are nice to me and that love me back, but everybody? Do I really need to be completely honest? Like, I'll tell the truth to my mom and dad, but, like, if I got homework and it's due, I'm going to cheat. Bro, this is what I'm going to do. Does God really, like, when he says go <laughs> and make disciples, does he really mean, like, me? Small, subtle, Lies, and this is how the enemy works. I love how one pastor has put it. He, he talks about how the enemy works. He says this. He says, all the enemy does is this. The enemy speaks lies, and those lies, they play to the disordered desires in our hearts. Like, we want to experience pleasure. We want to be satisfied. We want to be happy. We want to have joy. So the enemy is going to speak lies to us that promise we can find all of these God-given desires and find them satisfied in a way that doesn't honor God at all. So he speaks lies. They play to our disordered desires. And you know what happens? They become normalized in a sinful society. So it's not normal to graduate high school and still be a virgin. Like, that's weird. It's not normal for you to not look at pornography. It's not normal for you to not have tea with somebody else. It's not normal for you to not talk bad about that person that's wronged you. It's not normal for you to be kind to someone who's not kind to you. It's not normal for you to have integrity. It's not normal for you to have character. It's not normal for you to think about other people as opposed to yourself. That's not normal because we live in a society that's been corrupted by sin because it has people in it who have been corrupted by sin. So what are you believing? What lies is the enemy telling you that's convincing you that you should find your identity in something other than Jesus? But see, your beliefs, those are not even the deepest part of who you are. Your identity is a deeper part of you. Your beliefs, your worldview is an even deeper part of you. But if you want to truly grow, if you want to truly change what's above the surface, there's one final aspect of who you are that must be addressed. It's not your identity. It's not your beliefs. It's your fear. And your fear will either be placed in your deepest point of hurt or your deepest point of hope. Which is why, again, in the book of Proverbs, we read this. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The ability to make the right decision at the right time in the right place. That's what wisdom is. Apply knowledge to action. What's the first thing we need to do? What's the beginning of that? It's not good theology. It's not Bible verses you've memorized. It's the fear of the Lord. What is fear? Fear is that part of you that when it is activated, dictates every other aspect of your life. The other day I was driving on the interstate and um, it was like early in the morning so I'm like awake but I'm also like I need coffee. 
And so I'm like there, and I'm in that, you know, if you drive, you know, kind of in that zombie state where I'm just like this, you know, and it's just cruise control's on, and I'm going. And all of a sudden, over this median, I see this thing, this white thing just pop up and flip across the road. And y'all, I'm going to tell you something, I freaked out. I'm driving, all of a sudden this thing goes, and I went, what? I get one of these things right here. What is that? Was that a ghost, a deer? What was that? Look at my rear view mirror. It was, it was a plastic bag. Um, but in that moment, what happened? Fear entered my system. Adrenaline shot up. And what happened? Every ounce of who I was was dictated by the fear I had in that moment. Hey! If your fear is in your deepest point of hope, God, then that will direct and dictate all your decisions. Unfortunately, I think that for many of us guys, we do not fear God above all else. Instead, our fear is based in our deepest place of hurt. We're still being controlled about things that were said to us when we were in middle school. We're being controlled by the hurt we've experienced because our dad has never told us we're doing good enough. We're, we're being controlled by this hurt we feel because we always feel like everyone else gets acceptance and we get rejection. We're controlled by this fear of I'm not good enough. If people really knew my sin, if they really knew my struggle, if they knew the things that I think about, I wouldn't actually be accepted. And so what happens then is this. Our fear informs our beliefs. It causes us to believe lies about ourselves and the world around us and about God. And therefore, we build a false identity on a, on, a, on a house that is built on sand. And then our actions and our emotions, they just follow suit. Let me tell you how this manifested in my life for a very long time. I was an individual who, growing up, um, I was always the kid who got picked on. I mean, as like an elementary school kid, I'm small, I'm scrawny, I'm the kid who gets made fun of, I'm the kid who's the brunt of every single kind of joke. That's who I am. So you want to know what happened to me? I developed a fear of not being approved by others. So you want to know what that resulted in? It resulted in me believing the lie that in order to prove myself, I had to show that I was worthy. Therefore, my purpose in life became, I want to show everybody that I am worth their love, I am worth their attention, I am worth their affection. So what did that manifest as? Well, it manifested as a guy who in high school manipulated and did what he had to do to get people to like him. That could have been with girls, that could have been with friends, that could have been with my parents. And I just became an individual who, guess what, made a living on being fake. Because I could be whoever you wanted me to be to get you to like me. And you know what? It was exhausting. And I looked really good on the outside. But on the inside, I was shattered. And it wasn't until Jesus spoke to that deepest part of who I was that I actually was able to begin to grow, to begin to change. 
So how do we actually grow? How do we actually change? Well, it looks like this. It looks like going underneath the water and working through the iceberg. It looks like us going all the way to the deepest part of who we are and asking ourselves above all else, what am I afraid of the most? Is it other people's opinions of me? Is it what my parents say about me? Is it what my pastor says about me? Is it that I'm going to get a scholarship to play football in college one day? Is it like you fill in the blank and then from there work your way up and go, okay, how is that causing me to believe lies about this world? And where is that then now causing me to find my identity? And then maybe then we can see how it's affecting our actions. And you can do this with anything. Why is it you can make resolution after resolution about an addiction to pornography and never find freedom? Well, maybe it's because you're addressing the action and not the fear behind it. Maybe you fear more than anything else being rejected and pornography gives you instant acceptance. It's not about pleasure. It's not about sex. It's about acceptance. Because you maybe believe the lie that says you have to be accepted by someone in this world in order to actually mean anything, so you'll build your identity on that, and oh, now we're back to our actions. Or why is it that I always enter toxic friendships? Like, I'm always in these relationships where people, I'm like, they're really bad for me, and I do things that I don't want to do. Well, let's go down the iceberg. What do you fear? What are you believing? Where are you finding your identity? If we want to grow, we have to do the hard work that is necessary for true transformation. That doesn't mean that our transformation is all on us. The book of Philippians says this, that God is working in us both to will and to do what he would call us to do. It's a both and. We have taken on his yoke, but the reality is his yoke is light. You know, um, I told you guys I've got a two-year-old and um, in our backyard, we have this like flat area in our backyard and then at the very, very end, we have this big like dip in this drop off. And um, my daughter, her name's Rosie, she loves to play in our backyard. And when she was first learning how to walk, um, pretty frequently and pretty consistently, she would go to the very top of this like hill and she would like kind of walk up to the top of the hill and then she would look at me and give me this like smile like. It's like the, I want you to tell me what I'm not allowed to do because I'm going to do it anyway and show you that I'm a sinner. Like kind of look. So she'd give me the like. And I would be over here and I would say, Rosie, don't go down the hill. Because if you go down the hill, you're not going to be able to get back up. To which she would look at me and she would go. <laughs> and she'd go down the hill. And then she would get down there and she'd play with the little acorns and, you know, she'd kick around for a little bit. And then she'd want to go back up and she'd look it up and then she would realize, oh, no, I have made a grave mistake here. And so I'm standing up here like this. And she's standing down here like this. And then the tears come. And she does this. Daddy! I need help! Now, let me tell you something. I might have messed up with the throw up in the mouth, 
But I don't look at my daughter and say, sorry, figure it out when you can walk better and go back in the house and get myself a sweet tea. No, what do I do? I get down in there, I pick her up, I walk her back up to the top, I put her down, I get on a knee and I say, Rosie, listen, you can't walk down that hill because you can't get back up if you do. She goes, okay, daddy, okay. Five minutes later, I'm over here, she's over there. She's standing here. She looks at me and she goes, Daddy. I go, Rosie, don't do it. <laughs> on repeat, on repeat, on repeat, on repeat. Now let me tell you something. Never do I look at Rosie and say, sorry, you're going to have to figure this one out on your own. You got yourself into this mess. You're going to have to get up that hill by yourself. Never do I ever do that. What am I always willing and ready to do? I am always so quick and so ready to go down that hill and to get my daughter and to bring her back to the top. It doesn't matter how many times she does it. I will never get tired of rescuing my daughter. If I can do that as a dad of a two-year-old, who while his daughter is playing outside is probably scrolling Instagram and on YouTube. Why on earth would you think God wouldn't get you out of the pit you got yourself in? Guys, some of you are so scared to do the work that's required for transformation because you're afraid that when you actually get into that moment of vulnerability, when you actually admit that you need help, maybe, just maybe in that moment, you're not going to be met by this loving God we sing songs about. You're going to be met by this angry God who's really ticked off at you. And he's frustrated. And he's angry. And he's looking at you and he's like, well, you got yourself into that addiction, bud. Get yourself out. You know you weren't supposed to get into that relationship, honey, but, well, if you can figure this one out on your own. You made that same resolution to camp last year and at Movement Week in the year before that and at a Wednesday night before that. But that's not the heart of our Father. The heart of our Father is a heart that says, I will go to the deepest depths of wherever you are and I will get you out of that muck and that mire and that mud you got yourself into. I will meet you where you are. I will bring you out of that. I will sit you down and I will look at you and I will say, hey, listen, don't do that. Because if you get down there, you're not going to be able to get yourself back up. And guess what? Even if you go back down there, what's he going to do? He's still going to get you back up. like what he told to the woman in John 8 who was caught in the act of adultery. After he sends everybody away from judging her, he looks at her and says, who's here to condemn you? She says, no one. He says, okay, neither do I condemn you, so go and sin no more. Ceasing to sin, ceasing to look at that, ceasing to do that, ceasing to be with those friends, ceasing your actions is not a prerequisite for God's grace. That's why we say he has good grace. His grace is an initiating grace. 
It's a grace that meets you where you are and wants to take you down to that place you don't want to go to. For you to examine, what am I really afraid of in this life? What do I believe about God? Where am I finding my identity? He wants to do that with you. But I'm going to tell you something. Just like we said last night, he says to you, come. And you can see that as an invitation or you can see that as an interruption. If you're focusing on your actions, it's an interruption. Because it's going to interrupt what you're used to for a while. It's going to interrupt your habits you have. But if you see it as an invitation, maybe you will truly be able to experience what Jesus says when he says, I will give you rest. So here's what we're going to do tonight. Man, I am a, a firm believer that the Holy Spirit does not need fancy lights and bowing heads and closing eyes to move. Here's what I know. There are people in this space who need to move from trying to change their actions to transforming their hearts. And so I wanna invite you to do that in this next moment. Here's what I wanna invite you to do. Many times in our lives, we sit and we stay silent about what we're actually walking through. We never actually bring it to the Lord because we're afraid of what might happen if we do that. Remember what this verse said, what we read earlier? Present yourself as a living sacrifice. A sacrifice was conducted on an altar. Therefore, the altar in the Bible became a space and a place where redemption stepped in. So tonight, I want to invite you to lay down what you're carrying right now at the altar. And I want to actually challenge you to do that publicly and boldly. Because listen, you cannot alter your past, but you can bring your past to the altar. So I'm going to open up this at the front. And these are stairs. This is not an altar. But I'm going to open this space up for anybody who wants to come forward get on their face before God and say, all right, here I am. You know what I'm walking through and what I'm doing, but I'm going to, I'm just going to tell you what it is right now. And I'm going to tell you, I'm not going to ask us to bow our heads and close our eyes. I'm not going to say, you know, one, two, three, like I'm not going to do any of that. In a minute, I'm just going to invite you. If that's you, I'm going to have you stand up and walk to the front of this room and get on your face up here. Because again, there's no safer place for you to make a decision for Jesus. There's no safer place for you to begin to do the hard work of transformation than in this room. But if you can't do it in this room, guys, I hate to tell you, you're probably not going to be able to do it outside of this room. So there might be one of you. There might be 10 of you. There might be 100 of you. You know if God's telling you to go. So I'm going to pray. Ask for boldness, ask for healing in this moment. And if that's you, when I say amen, just get up out of your seat, come right here, do business before the Lord. We got some time built into this service. We got some worship we're gonna do. And like we've talked about, we're not just singing songs, guys. We're living a life that is a sacrifice to Jesus. Do you wanna be different? Do you wanna experience the peace that surpasses all understanding? Maybe it would begin with you right now, getting on your face before God, perhaps for the first time saying, here I am, a living sacrifice.
So Jesus, we ask you to move in this moment. Whether it's one or two or 10 or 100 of us, God, in this space, would we in this moment find the boldness to repent, to turn away from how we're living, to turn away from the life that is all about us and to turn towards you. To not just focus on changing our actions and our emotions, but to begin to do the hard work of transforming our hearts. Jesus, give us boldness in this moment, we pray.